Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee for March 12th, 1994. My name is Mark. With me, as always, is my girlfriend, Carol. How are you doing, Carol? What's up? So we've had another good week here at Massive Late Fee. People are starting to really get into the show. We've got some good feedback from everyone. Keep telling your friends about the show. Keep handing those tapes out to other people. Let's, let's get this show going all across the country. The news today, sad, sad news. Very, very disheartening, but John Candy, one of the comedy giants of our time, died of a heart attack in Mexico while filming a new film that's supposed to come out, I think, later this year or next year called Wagons East. Okay. Hopefully that is a good film. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, his legacy, I would say, is probably pretty enshrined at this point. Uncle Buck, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, The Great Outdoors... The list goes on and on. Oh, yeah. But John Candy, 44 years old, just a, a terrible loss for comedy, for the movie industry, for the world as a whole. One of those unique people that just seemed cheery all the time, that had like a positive outlook constantly. Oh, yeah. He he, he was an amazing comedian. And... um. It, it is it's it's i feel it you know i mean it doesn't usually celebrities it's like eh, whatever you know it's not like i knew him but yeah and only um, 44 just it is it's very sad one of the great stories about john candy that doesn't really it involves john candy but not directly but it's a sports story as as a lot of you might know i am a fan of sports carol really isn't not at all no but during the super bowl I believe it was the first Super Bowl for Joe Montana. They were marching down the field against the Cincinnati Bengals, and it was it was the game-winning drive for them to win the Super Bowl. And Joe Montana went into the huddle. Everyone's kind of nervous. And he looks up at the stands, and he just points. He says, hey, is that John Candy? <laughs> just that kind of coolness in the face of all that pressure sort of helped establish his character and and his legacy joe montana's and you know john candy aided in that obviously right. but everyone was a fan i think it speaks to everyone being a fan of that man's work and it's just it's he was in a movie that not a lot of people saw that wasn't super popular but i like quite a bit called delirious where he plays a soap opera writer who ends up, he gets hit on the head by a car, and he ends up in his own soap opera world. He gets hit on the head by a car. But the trunk of a car. Okay, I guess I should sense. say. Yeah. The trunk of a car comes up and slams him in the head. He gets knocked out and he wakes up in the soap opera world that he's written. It's a very humorous movie. It's very touching. Muriel Hemingway's in it. It's a very good film. Not only have I not seen it, I have never even heard of it. We should we should rent it at some point. It's a good movie. Okay. 
But, yeah, the uh, it's quite sad. The other news, I guess, to brighten things up a little bit is that I read an article in the LA Times about how dramas are sort of dying out, the hour-long drama that you think L.A. Law, Hill Street Blues, shows like that. They're kind of dying out now. They they noted a few successful ones. They called Northern Exposure a drama. I don't know that I would totally typify it as a drama, but... I mean, it depends on the episode. I mean, there's a lot of comedy to it, but it is more serious than like a sitcom, so... Yeah, and it is an hour-long program. They, they brought up Picket Fences, which is a rapidly... A popular show. It's getting, uh, it's getting a lot of popularity in its first season. You know, I was I was gonna watch that this week, and I got just a couple minutes in, and I, I could not do it because it was just too depressing. <laughs> it was, I'm serious. There was like this lady's husband died of a heart attack, and she's like gigantic, like 500 pound lady, mm-hmm. and she's just sitting on the couch crying and saying how she couldn't believe he was dead. He can't be dead, and. Oh, I that's was like, terrible. No, no, this is not going to be today. No. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Tom Skerritt is good on that show. I like that show. The redhead is good on that show too. I can't think of her name off the top of my head. But uh, Lauren Holly, I think, is her name. She's good in it. But yeah, it's a decent show. But I can see how a lot of episodes are sort of depressing. Also, Ray Walston's in it. He plays the judge mm-hmm. from My Favorite Martian, which okay. was a show that I used to watch in reruns when I was a kid. But anyway, so this uh, author said that there a lot of the dramas were being replaced by those news magazine shows that come on on the different networks where they talk about somebody that got killed or whatever, and they go through the investigation of it and Mm -hmm. things like that. But they highlighted that some of the big producers, four of the big producers that were starting to come out with new shows. So unfortunately, I can't find the article right now. I don't know where I put the paper, but... You're paying all that money to get these papers and you can't even hang on to them? I'm not sure. It might have been used to line the gerbil cage (laughs) or the hamster cage. Uh, Not gerbils. But uh, anyway, I can't find it. But basically, there were four shows that were coming out that, I mean, I I don't know. They, They didn't look like anything to me, but we'll see. But into our TV picks of the week, speaking of you almost doing picket fences, this week, Carol, you... You watched uh, the nanny, right? Yeah, um, it was it was a funny show. I always enjoy the nanny. I like Fran Drescher a lot. Um, you know, you said something to me that I I found odd. Yeah. Because I said I think she's pretty, and you said that I said that that Fran Drescher, Drescher is the kind of woman that women think are pretty and men really don't. I don't get it. Like she's got a nice body. And she's got a pretty face and all that hair. Like, what's not to like? Part of the hair is part of the problem, I think. But part of it's her voice. You know that's not her real voice. It's close to her real voice, I think. Really? I think so, yeah. I I don't know. And part of it is just, I don't know. there's, There's something about her where, for instance, I guess she's just not hot in any way. That's my uh, that's my take on it. Well, if you'd watch this episode with me, maybe you would change your mind because she she was wearing some pretty skimpy stuff. I don't know about that, but it's one of those situations where like 
people could objectively say the Mona Lisa, for instance, mm-hmm. the pretty woman, you know, like classically pretty face or whatever. I don't think so. I don't, okay, maybe the birth of Venus or something like that. It's one of those situations where in a vacuum, she, you can, you can appreciate her looks as, oh, she's aesthetically pretty. She's symmetrical face, you know, like all these mm-hmm. scientific type things, but there's no hotness to her at all. Not in her personality, not in her body, not in any kind of her mannerisms. And I think that is what I'm speaking to. Interesting. Okay. But this episode was... <laughs> so this episode, um, she was started out by hinting about uh, family vacations and how, you know, the nanny should get to uh, go. On the them. family vacation? On the family vacation, okay. yeah. I, didn't, and, uh, I, I will point out I didn't watch this with you because I don't like the nanny. Well, I do. So, <laughs> anyway, so, you know, she talks, uh, she talks them into taking them on vacation. They're going to go to Miami. And uh, it was a huge blizzard. So, uh, Niles, the butler. In Miami, a huge blizzard? Yeah. Wow. Okay. No, not in Miami. A huge blizzard where they are in New York. Oh, in New York. Yeah. Okay. So they couldn't fly. Right. Gotcha. Thank you for ruining what I was getting to, but yes. Um, <laughs> the butler That's can't wait. That's what I'm here for. The butler can't wait to get them out of the house, so he's driving them to the airport. And, um, you know, there's this huge blizzard, and Fran can't uh, see the landmark, she said, so she wanted to go to her mom's house because she can find her way, any, her way anywhere from her mom's house. Okay. Kind of odd, but... So that's where they go when they find out that the airport is closed and they're not going to be able to go anywhere. And her mom graciously offers to let them stay because also the bridges are closed so they can't get back to Manhattan. Um, that is a hell of a br- blizzard if all the borough's bridges are closed. Yeah. They said it was like the worst blizzard in like 40 years or, you know, crazy. So, yeah, there's no way for them to get back to their house, no way for them to get to the airport. They were literally stuck in Queens. And, uh, oh, wow. Stuck yeah. in, could you imagine uh, uh, even a show taking place where you're stuck in Queens, <laughs> like a, a, a husband and a wife? That'd be terrible. Well, actually. The only thing that I could think of that would be worse is if you were stuck in Queens with your husband or your wife and your in-laws <laughs> or even one of them. Um, well, that, that joke was kind of made when uh, one of the neighbor boys stopped by and Maggie says to him, you know, I'm stuck here. And he's like, I've been stuck here for 17 years. <laughs> so um, so they're, they get kind of forced into having some family fun, which is something that Fran had wanted for them anyway. They were planning a vacation where they were going to have separate dining rooms and, you know, separate like programs and basically never see each other. She's like, what? Huh. Can I interrupt for one second again yeah. so yeah. that you can't get your words out? Sure. But uh, is this... Now, I know only a little bit about the nanny because, I, like I said, I don't watch it. But I know there's like a will they, won't they type of storyline that sort of happened since the beginning uh-huh. with her and... Mr. Sheffield. Yeah, the, the guy that she's watching the kids for. Right. Have they, or have they gotten together at this point? Or is it no. still... Okay, so it's a family vacation, but they're not, they don't have any romantic ties. No. Okay. No, I mean, there's that little bit of flirtation. And then, of course, his um, his business partner, Cece, has a, a thing for him. 
So, oh, so it's like a love triangle thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and somehow she got along in this too. I don't think she was actually going on vacation with them. I think she was going to the airport with them. She was going somewhere else, but she's okay. also stuck there. And um, she tries to climb into bed with uh, Mr. Sheffield, but you know they're playing musical beds, and, and it ends up that she's climbing in bed with the butler. So that was kind of funny. So it's like a Scooby-Doo episode. <laughs> Basically. Okay. <laughs> Um, and then Fran finds a love note in her mother's meat. What? <laughs> exactly. From the butcher. Oh, okay. Appar- and then uh, apparently he's been uh, slipping her notes. They have some kind of thing going on. So she's really upset. She she thinks her mom's having an affair. Or oh, her dad is still alive? Yeah. And they're still married? Yeah. Okay. And she confronts her mom, but her mom assures her it's just an innocent flirtation. And one of the worst lines I think I've ever heard, um, she says, what would daddy think if he knew? And she says, he does know. Sometimes he goes down there and watches him give me the meat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's not something you want to hear either from your mom or if you're watching television from a 65-year-old Jewish woman. <laughs> But I enjoyed the episode. It was cute. It was comical. I don't know. That's so why did why did they have this flirtation? Just because like she wanted a thrill. She said it. And her made dad her, was a voyeur. She said it made her feel young. Okay. And oh, and she got half price on the meat. Oh, so that's why the dad approved of it. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I uh, I have an interest in poker, and. Obviously, we're a little too young to, you know, drive to Atlantic City. That would be the closest place to us and play poker. But when we do get old enough, I fully intend to to bring you along and just have you wear something low cut because it will distract all the other poker oh my players goodness. from concentrating on poker. You're silly. Uh, well, I watched uh, In Living Color. And I hate that show, so there we go. <laughs> yeah, we we did our own thing this week. I mean, we watched shows together as well, like we usually do. And we went out to a party this week and all the other stuff that we do. Yeah, it's been a fun week. But anyway, so we, we watched separate shows this week. I watched In Living Color, the Saturday Night Live-esque show for... I don't want to say it's for the black community... Obviously, the jokes, I would say the jokes are pretty colorblind, actually. The majority of the cast, obviously, is black. It's the the Wayans brothers. But I don't think they necessarily have a a different comic sensibility than, than anyone else. I think it's fairly universal. It's just not that good. <laughs> no, it's not. I I mean, that show has never made me laugh once. I don't understand why you would subject yourself to it. For well, you know, I, I, I've seen skits from the show here and there. I, I watched a lot of the first season and I watched a lot of the second season. It's in the fourth season right now. And... I watched a lot because they had uh, this woman that was one of the Fly Girls. They have a troupe of women that dance in between the sketches called Fly Girls. And there was this one that named uh, Jennifer Lopez. 
and she's done a movie, a team made for TV movie. She's trying to do movies. She left the show to try to do movies. I haven't seen her in anything but that made-for-TV movie. I got to say, she probably made an enormous mistake right. leaving in Living Color, which d- does pretty good ratings. But anyway, uh, so, you know, she used to be a reason to watch the show. Well, before, this was before we were together, you know, before I had your booty. <laughs> Pig. Anyway, so I remember some sketches like uh, Black Men on Film and Fire Marshal Bill with Jim Carrey. Certain things like that stick in my mind, the funny sketches. But watching the entire episode after having not watched it for a year or so, I, I really started to realize that there are, it's like Saturday Night Live in the sense that there are a lot of bad sketches yeah, I'm sure. in between the few good ones. And I guess that's just sort of the the nature of a sh- sketch show like this is there's going to be a lot of bad ones in between good ones. They started out with a, a Michigan connection for us here in Michigan. It was Dr. Jack Kevorkian's Book of Home Remedies. <laughs> and basically it was all these home remedies were for very simple minor things like a foot ache or a splinter in your finger. And they were all lethal. They, they, they all killed the patient. Which I think is a bit unfair to Dr. Kevorkian. Right. I know that he has this Dr. Death moniker and that's how people see him around the country. Honestly, I think what he's doing is good. I I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I think I can say that without fear of any legal or ethical ramifications like he's facing. But I honestly think he's like the Jackie Robinson of euthanasia. He doesn't... I, I, I get the joke. And it was a you know an okay joke that lasted a little too long. I think uh, Jim Carrey played Doctor Kevorkian in a kind of against type, understated performance of Je- of D- Doctor Jack Kevorkian because like his Fire Marshal Bill and another sketch 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 <laughs> that's later in this episode it really showcases his off the wall kind of. Just absolutely going for it, manic kind of energy. But, yeah, he was pretty understated here. And I get the joke they're going for, but at the same time, it's like Dr. Kevorkian takes patients who want to die, who are suffering, who have terminal illnesses that they will not survive. And he puts them out of their misery. And I I don't see... I understand it's illegal. I understand he's gotten in a lot of trouble for it. I don't understand anything wrong with what he's doing. I I agree. I I don't either. So I think a lot of us in Michigan feel that way. And I think he gets a a real bad reputation nationally because of it. But before all this happened, he was a a very good and respected doctor. Mm -hmm. But he's taken a moral stance that he doesn't think that patients should suffer. And he interprets uh, do no harm as basically don't let people be in pain right? if you can fix it. So anyway, uh, I guess that's our little political statement for the week. <laughs> but the next sketch was thugs, which was a take on cops. It was instead of 
a camera crew following cops around. It was a camera crew following two home burglars around. Oh my goodness. Which is a funny premise, but it didn't really land either. The execution of a lot of these sketches is not very good. The ideas can be good, but a lot of it's not very good. And the other thing that uh, Jim Carrey did in this episode was he played a gay man at a burger joint where he's basically just loudly proclaiming he's homosexual and he wants everyone to acknowledge it kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, it's really weird. It's not that funny. The whole thing's not that funny. But anyway, so the I, there weren't there wasn't a sketch in there that I thought oh, this is very funny, this is memorable. It was not a memorable episode with anything that I would really call even close to funny. Some funny ideas, but not funny execution, which is un- unfortunate because I like Jim Carrey a lot. I like Damon Wayans a lot. Uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans, I don't even know if he's associated with the show anymore. I think he is. He created it, but I didn't see him in this episode. But uh, it's unfortunate. It's the show seems to kind of gone downhill to me, and I think the ratings sort of reflect that. So I can't really give In Living Color a recommendation. I guess you give The Nanny a recommendation. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Sheffield's cute. Fran is, you know, cool, and I want them to get together. Fran is cool. Fun to watch. If you enjoy not bleeding from your ears, I would say don't. Yeah, she has an annoying voice, but it's funny. Yeah, that one joke really was really going to sustain the show over, what, five, six, seven, eight seasons. I'm sure it'll last. And they took Saved by the Bell the college years off the air. But they keep this crap on. It is not crap. This is what I don't like about the entertainment world. Are you listening? Has any of these tapes gotten to you, executives in the entertainment world? Briscoe County Jr., keep it on the air and bring back Saved by the Bell of the College Years. Or at least give us that movie. <laughs> on to our main topic tonight. We went to see the brand new Christmas movie in March. Now, it's, it's not a Christmas movie. I know, I agree. I agree. It's that debate that people have every once in a while about Die Hard yeah. being a Christmas movie or Home Alone. People will call Home Alone a Christmas Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. Die, I love Die Hard. Die Hard's a very good movie. I wouldn't call Die Hard a Christmas movie because Christmas really has nothing to do with Die Hard. A lot of people overlook Home Alone. Christmas has nothing to do with Home Alone. The entire movie would be the same if it took place in July. Right. It's just, or, or any time that Memorial Day. Any time that people go out of, that a lot of people go out of town. It would be the exact same film. Well, aside from the, uh, you know, ice. That's really the only difference. Yeah, okay. Well, it could have taken place in November. (laughs) Anyway, this movie also is not a Christmas movie. It's just a movie that happens to take place during Christmas, which I assume is why they didn't release it in December. Although December's a kind of a a dead, deadish time for films anyway. Yeah. But it's The Ref with Dennis Leary, who I think is very funny. Oh, yeah. I like a lot of his stand-up. I'm a fan of stand-up comedy. And I think a lot of his stand-up is very funny. He's very good in this film. He's also in another movie that we talked about last week that I liked, Demolition Man. And he's in the blockbuster pick of this of for this week, too, that I'll reveal later. But this is kind of his starring role. 
I really want him to make more comedy films. I know that he does a lot of stand-up, but I think that he is a very strong comedic actor. There are some lines in this movie that I think that I'll remember for a long time because they're just so funny. Mm -hmm. And the writer of this film did a very good job writing to Dennis Leary's humor. Yeah. So the movie stars Dennis Leary, like I said, uh, Kevin Spacey and Judy Davis, I believe is the name of the wife. And basically Dennis Leary plays a burglar who is in this little Connecticut town, little rich town in Connecticut, which is, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of like very upper middle class to rich suburbs around Connecticut. And so he's there and he's robbing a house at the beginning of the movie. And he's getting all this jewelry out of the safe. He sees a ring in a ring box. No, no, no. Back it up, though, because there's an important detail you skipped over. Yep. And he gets sprayed with cat piss when he first opens the safe. This comes up through the whole movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I thought it happened when he grabbed the ring, but you're right, yeah. When he first opens the safe, this thing sprays him with cat piss. And he's wearing a mask, so the mask is all nasty now. And it's funny, too, because it plays... A sound of a cat, not meowing, but screeching or yeah. whatever. Like kind <laughs> of sound. Which is really just for the audience, so you know what kind of pee he's being right? sprayed with. But is super impractical if you're if it's a home a home defense system. <laughs> because it's just like it's weird. But yeah. it's it's obviously it's something that's put in for the audience. I I, I wanna say that what he gets sprayed with is probably co- like concentrated urine, almost like pheromone type stuff from a cat because it's so prevalent. It lasts the entire night and everyone smells it really heavily. And I think the uh, the home defense thought behind it is it will mark this person yeah. as the robber. And I think it's something that's probably going to be very difficult to wash off. He might have to do some kind of tomato juice bath or or something like that. So I think it's more than just like just regular cat piss they put in this this distributor. It's some sort of aerosolized, concentrated cat urine. So gross. Anyway, so so yeah, he gets sprayed with that, and then he goes to grab this ring, which is attached to a wire, which triggers a trap door underneath his feet that he somehow didn't see which slides him in on the pool table in the basement i assume he gets out of it obviously because the rest of the movie happens so i'm not sure what the there's a dog down there yeah and maybe that's part of the cat pee too to make him smell like a cat i don't know oh yeah that could be and to keep the to have the dog keep him there yeah. You know, if he had just taken that ring out of the case instead of grabbing the entire case, he would have been fine. Right. But, so, he throws a pool ball at this dog, and this dog catches it in its teeth and destroys it. Crunch, 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 yeah. Anyway, so he gets bit by the dog, and he eventually escapes. We then see Kevin Spacey's character and his wife, I think, like I said, I believe the actress's name is Judy Davis, in their therapist's office and they have an asian therapist which comes up later i wouldn't dr wong yeah i wouldn't normally point it out but it does come up later and he's sort of we we get a good look at the problems in their relationship 
and kind of what's going on with their relationship. Uh, B.D. BD Wong plays Dr. Wong. He's a, uh, I would say, probably little-known character actor, but you probably remember him in a film we reviewed that came out in the summer of last year, Jurassic Park. Right. He has a very small role in that film. He also has a small role in this film, but he, he plays the therapist at the beginning. We find out that Caroline uh, cheated on Kevin Spacey's character, Lloyd. Lloyd and Caroline. Mm-hmm. So Caroline cheated on, on him, and they've had all these problems. They're arguing a lot, and they can't... The, the, even the therapy's not working. At one point, they say, fuck you to the therapist yeah. <laughs> in unison. It's probably like their closest moment. Right. So they end up leaving. They uh, Caroline wants to stop at a pharmacy. I think it's a pharmacy, something like that, drugstore. Yeah. And Lloyd stays in the car because they just can't stand being around each other, and he wants to listen to the news on the radio. And the news sort of talks about the robbery a little bit. We see Dennis Leary's character coming up, you know, on the streets Mm -hmm. and going in there. He ends up kidnapping her, you know, holding her at gunpoint. They get in the car and he goes to try to figure out what his next move is. Because his partner, Gus, who they show a couple shots of sitting outside the house smoking cigarettes waiting for him gets spooked when the alarm system goes off and ends up driving away. Yeah, what an ass. What a terrible partner. Right. Like, he needs you more now when the alarm's going off than yeah. he did before. So, anyway, we uh, he, he, he goes to hide with these people in their house. And they're having the rest of their family come over for dinner. Their son's coming back their, from military school. Yeah, their son is in a military academy and he's coming back. Uh, they fight all the way home. Mm-hmm. Lloyd runs a stop sign because he's distracted, I suppose. And Dennis Leary's in the back saying, stop sign, stop sign, stop sign. <laughs> runs through it. And uh, so they end up getting home. It, the The humor of the movie is them bickering all the time. Yeah. And Dennis Leary commenting on their bickering. When the son finally comes home at one point, he starts in with the fighting and, you know, talking and everything, too. And this is one of the lines that I think is a hilarious line. Uh, he's tying them up and Dennis Leary says, you know what this family needs? A mute. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so to take it from there a little bit of uh, what kind of happens. So they're they're tied up. Um, I know, like... At the at first, he has the kid tie the parents up. At first, he had the parents tied up while they're waiting. Yes, and, in and they actually kind of started like getting a little flirty and you yeah. know, everything at that point. Um, so he has t- not enough bungee cord, so he has to redistribute it. And um, does he ever tie up the boy? I don't remember. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So they're all tied when up. The, especially when they're at the dinner party. He's tied up in the chair oh, in the yeah. closet. So he ends up letting the parents out and keeping the boy in the closet. Right. Um, but the boy comes home from military school. We see him at the military school at first. Oh, yeah. And he is uh, blackmailing one of his professors. Who's played by a guy that's been in, I think he was in The Adventures of Pete and Pete. He's been in some small stuff here and there. But I like him a lot. His name is J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. And he's from Michigan. So I kind of try to keep track of different actors who are doing stuff in and around Hollywood that are from the area. And he, he 
I don't think he was actually born here, but I think he his dad moved here when uh, J.K. Simmons was very, very young, like four or five years old, because his dad got a job at uh, the one of the auto plants. Uh, one of my my dad has a friend who has a friend who worked with him oh, wow. at one of the auto plants, and I think he ended up being com- becoming an executive and stuff like that. But anyway, so J.K. Simmons grew up here, so that's kind of why I sort of follow his career. So one thing that we have not mentioned yet is they have actually um, put up roadblocks and instituted a curfew looking for this guy. Yeah. And um, so this, this does come up throughout the movie that there's this 10 o'clock curfew looming. His partner is trying to steal them a boat. Because he knows he can't get out in a car because they're searching cars, they're searching houses. So he said, I know there's, you know, a dock. Go go steal us a boat. Dennis Leary called, asks that the two, the husband and wife, what the biggest dive bar in the area is. Because I guess his partner likes to drink a lot. And they tell him. So he calls up and he asks for Gus. Murray. Or, yeah, Murray, that's right. Gus is uh, Dennis Dennis Leary's character. Yeah. He asks for Murray, and so the bartender asks. Nobody answers. He kind of looks up, but he doesn't answer. The bartender says there's nobody here by that name. And he says, ask if there's a fucking waste of life named Murray here. (laughs) So then he knows it's Gus. Yeah, he like lights up and goes, Gussie? So uh, (laughs) then he answers the phone, and that's when they have the conversation about, you know, you need to get a boat because we're not going to be able to get out of here by car because they have all these roadblocks. It's also pointed out that the police in this town are basically inept. Oh yeah. Because nothing happens in the town. Right. And they never have to deal with any crimes, so they don't know what they're doing at all. And the mayor wants to call them the state police. They actually have video footage of him in the safe and they end up recording over it with It's a Wonderful Life. Because they're watching it on TV. Yeah. The, sh- the sheriff of the town, and I I, it, I, th- I think it's implied, I don't know if they actually say it outright, but I think it's a, implied that he's from somewhere else. That they hired him from a different city. So he, he has a lot more experience. And it's certainly, his character certainly makes it clear that he has a lot more experience as far as how, he, how to deal with crimes, how to manage his force and everything. Uh, but everyone else around him is completely inept. So he goes to have a phone call with the head of the state police, I guess, or the state, the sheriff. Uh, I guess they, well, counties have sheriffs. I don't know exactly how the state police are, what their rankings are, or, yeah, or whatever. I, I don't know. But anyway, so he has he has a phone call with uh, with one of them, and while they're doing that, the the idiots try to watch. It's a Wonderful Life on TV, and they end up accidentally recording the tape. Yeah. So um, then there's, like, some guy dressed up in a Santa suit going around. There's just, you know, all these people end up coming to the door. This is the first thing. And at at one point, the cops actually show up, and they let them in the house. um, And the family eventually arrives. So, I mean, you've just got, you know, tons of interruptions, tons of people walking around. They've got to convince everybody everything's okay. My question is they have police officers in the frickin' house, and they're continuing to go along with the charade. Why? Why not just tell them? Why not just say, hey, here's the burglar? There is, by the way, a $200,000 reward for this guy. Maybe they know. Well, this family doesn't seem like they really need the money. 
but maybe they know how inept the cops are, and they think this guy will just shoot them, kill them, and, and kill the two, kill the husband and wife or something. No, I mean, they've already established he is not a killer. Lloyd calls him out on that. He says, you know, obviously you are a thief, you're not a killer, you know, he, he unties them. And then, I mean, the threat that he's made to them is if they do anything, he's going to take their son with him. Well, so, that's I mean, probably why. If then. they believe that, but I mean, how is he going to do that if the police arrest him? It's kind of a, a empty threat, anyway. Well, I I don't even know that they look at them as authority figures because the reason the reason the police are there and get invited in the house is because they know Lloyd's brother Gary is coming over, right. and they all went to high school together, and they want to see Gary. Well, they're supposed to be doing home searches, but that's why they're yeah. yeah. So, I think. I think maybe they don't even necessarily look at them as authority figures. They kind of look like at, like, what are these guys going to do? Yeah, maybe. Um, and then when the family shows up, oh, my gosh, they are terrible, terrible people. Just a toxic, toxic family. Um, and this has, you know, been brought up many times already between the bickering is, you know, they have an issue with his mom. She owns the business he runs. She owns their house. She loaned them money. And um, they're and she's majorly, charging them eighteen percent interest. Yeah, they're majorly everyone. indebted to her, and she's charging them interest. So yeah, it's it's a messed up situation. Um, and then Caroline got got lover. I mean, I like her character, but she's kind of a dope, and um, she made them wear these stupid things on their heads with like candles. Yeah, it's like a wreath with candles on it for uh, Saint Lucia. Of Norway, I think, or Sweden. I, I think it's Norway. Yeah, I mean, it's just some stupid story. And she makes a traditional Scandinavian Christmas dinner, which is four-day-old lutefish, oh. uh, and a bunch of other stuff that uh, that just it's terrible. It looks terrible. It, I I wouldn't eat any of it. No, yeah, for sure. I see why they stopped at a restaurant on the way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, and it just seems like a fire hazard, but yeah, so, I mean, it's a very strange little gathering to begin with. They all start fighting and the, the rules, he's established the rules that they're all supposed to stay together and nobody's supposed to leave the room. And, you know, they start fighting so much that they're like taking off. He's got to follow them. The three of them are walking around the house. Like he's pretending to be the therapist. Yeah. He's, he's Dr. Wong. This is where the, the Dr. Wong being Asian comes in because the mom who is the worst character in this film, in a film that features criminals and blackmailers and, you know, rich Connecticut people, which is some of the worst people in the world. Yuppies. uh, She is the worst character in the film. She's judgmental, horrible, just a shrew of a person. Mm -hmm. But she says to him, uh, your name's Wong? And he says, well, my mother was Irish. And she says, and your father? And he goes, wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um. So they come over. The family comes over. He's pretending to be the therapist. He's pretending to do therapy while they're there he says that the son is at a friend's house because he feels that when you're building highways of communication sometimes it's best to clear the road and start introducing exit ramps and the mother the wife of gary 
and the mother of the two children that come over say, oh, I heard something very similar on Oprah last week. <laughs> Which, it's sort of implied that, that he's a fan of watching Oprah right. in a couple different instances throughout the show, or the movie. But anyway, uh, so... It's like uh, they they start moving as one. Like Carol said, they start fighting a lot. Basically, all their problems are... It does end up turning into a therapy session almost. He suggests they start opening presents. So they start start doing opening the presents. I think he's just trying to get them out of the house again. I think he's just trying to get them in one room together, basically. But they... So they start opening presents. And the the grandmother, the mother character... It gives all these crappy like gifts and she's fabulously wealthy so it's sort of a slap in the face right and everything kind of breaks down where caroline and lloyd are yelling at each other caroline's going on about how she wants a divorce and she basically says to him i'm done we're getting a divorce and she starts yelling at the mom and saying we all tiptoe around her because she's got money and we don't want to piss her off, which is definitely a thing that happens right. in, in those kinds of situations. And it sort of emboldens everyone. It, at one point, Lloyd, Kevin Spacey's character, actually speaks up for himself for the, like the first time, says to her that he didn't want to move into this house. He didn't want to take the job. They tried to start a restaurant and they got a blisteringly terrible review in the New York restaurant restaurant guide, like the biggest magazine for restaurants in New York. Right. I, I side with him because she says, no, you know, it's it's one bad review, you try again and everything. I I, I side with his point of view when he says the guidebook recommends you to Hindus looking for a good night of fasting. <laughs> I mean it's a terrible review. In the most influential magazine, you're not going to get your your business is dead. It's a yeah. death. It's a death sentence. You're not getting customers anymore, ever. It's just you're done. That's I mean, and that's maybe that's not how it works in smaller towns, but in a city like New York, that's how it works with restaurants. Yeah, you there's get way a, too much competition. You get a bad review like that, you, you're you're never making money ever again. So I side with him on that, but he says that when. You know, that idea came up that his mother offered to let them live in the house and pay rent and loan them money for, or they she loaned them money for the restaurant, um, that he said no, that he didn't want to do it. And she said that they should consider it and she didn't want to, but she didn't want to make the decision. Ultimately, all the decisions came down to him. She, she was unhappy because all of her friends had money that she went to college with and they couldn't enjoy New York because they didn't have money. New York obviously is a very expensive city if right. you want to have any kind of fun in it. So, you know, it, it you kind of see where everything sort of coalesced and how it took both of them to make this situation bad. And I think they gain some kind of understanding. And it seems to embolden all the rest of them to kind of rebel against the mother. Yeah, yeah it was kind of a, kind of a great great scene to watch them kind of tear her down yeah and santa comes in again he's completely drunk oh god he's been to every apparently in this little town in connecticut there's a guy that plays santa every year that just goes from house to house uh like talking to the kids and drinking milk and cookies and stuff well he's switched to champagne and he's been drinking a lot of it 
and he comes in. He notices the gun. He know he figures out that that's the robber, and he knows there's a reward. He tries to run at him, and then Dennis Leary punches him out. That at that point they have to tie up everyone else, uh, too, and they start tying up the grandmother, and he goes off on her too, which is another really funny part of the movie where he says, uh, you know, what is wrong with you? I thought that grandmothers were supposed to be like nice and sweet and bake you cookies and things. <laughs> and he says, lady, your your husband isn't dead. He's hiding. <laughs> and it's one of the best lines in in the film. Yeah. But it also kind of, this is, it's very funny, but it's also, and this is why I like how the movie is written. It also reveals a little bit about his character too, because he doesn't know what mom's and grandmothers are supposed to be like because obviously he was orphaned yeah. as a kid. He started running and because he tells the son later, the son eventually wants to go with him because he's upset that his parents are probably getting a divorce and all this stuff. And he wants to go with him and Dennis Leary says, you know, no, you're not going to do that. And he says, don't start running, kid. Trust me, you know, you never stop once you start. Yeah. So it's clear that you know, he's a criminal because of this stuff early in his life. And it's just hinted at, but there's enough there to give his character depth. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't distract from it being a comedy, but it gives you a lot of context for the characters and why they're where they're at. So it's a very smart movie yeah. in that in that aspect, as well as being funny. Yeah, I, re I really, you know, recommend if you have not seen this movie, I realize we probably ruined a lot of it, but it's still, <laughs> it's still worth seeing. Yeah. But anyway, so that is The Ref. Uh, now we'll move on to our blockbuster pick of the week. It is... There's not a lot in on the shelves, I have to say. There's something coming for next episode because blockbuster, they give those pamphlets of this is what's coming up and they go about about a month and a half in advance or so, sometimes up to two months. But... You know, usually the next month and kind of the month after that, or at least like half the month after that. So I know some of the ones I'm going to recommend, but I try to stay close to ones that are coming out pretty, pretty soon. So next episode, I have one that, that I'm excited about because it's a movie I don't think a lot of people have seen. It didn't do well at the box office, but I like it a lot. But that's for next week. This week is a movie called Judgment Night that I know you haven't seen, Carol. Mm -mm. But it also stars Dennis Leary as a gang leader. Okay. Uh, the star of the movie is Emilio Estevez. They're uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., who hasn't been in a ton of stuff, but he was about three years ago, he was in that movie Boys in the Hood, the one where people would get shot in the theater sometimes. because there was. Yeah, there was so much gang violence. Like gang members would gang members would go see this movie because it's kind of about their life. But then rival gang members would be in there, and there was like shootings. Oh my God. It has a big story a, a while ago, but it's a Boys in the Hood's a very good movie, and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. is very good in the movie. And then he was in he played a very small role in A Few Good Men, which is also a very good movie. And then he was in. Now he's in, in this Judgment Night, and he hasn't done much else, but I think he's a, a pretty strong young actor that people should should look out for. Okay, so I want to see this movie now. So, yeah, it's Cuba Gooding Jr. and Emilio Estevez, uh, and a guy named Jeremy P. 
Piven, who's known a little more for comedy, I think. But he's in it as well. And it's... They, they're going to a boxing match in Chicago. And Jeremy Piven gets this RV for them to all go in. They, they're driving and they see this guy on the side of the road looking like he's in pain. So they stop and they, they pull him in. They hit him, actually. They, they kind of sideswipe him with the RV. So they stop. They, they pull, pull him into the RV. They ask him if he's okay. They see he's been shot. So they start. They see a police car. So they're like, let's get that, that police car. Let's you know follow the police car and get him so that we can notify them this guy's been shot and what's going on. So they start to follow him. They can't catch up to the police car because they're in this big, slow RV. They end up getting sideswiped by this Cadillac. And they go down this alley where their car gets stuck and it won't turn on. And then Dennis Leary comes out with his gang and starts shooting up the, the RV. They pull the guy that's been shot out. They kill him. And then he says they can hear what's going on outside their R- the RV. He's, Dennis Leary says to his gang guys, you know, we don't leave witnesses. Get these guys. So they start to try to kill Emilio Estevez and Cuba Gooding Jr. And, uh, and you know, the other two guys that are there. So they climb out from the front, they run out, and basically the rest of the movie is them running away from this gang, you know, Dennis, Dennis Leary's gang guy, uh, through the streets of Chicago and, and trying to get away, trying huh. to find police and stuff like that. It's, uh, you know, it's a thriller-ish movie. It's, it's, very, it's a good film. It definitely, it's one that I saw last year in the theater and I enjoyed it. It didn't do. It's another movie that didn't do super well. Mm-hmm. Didn't get a lot of publicity or anything. But I think it's a, a, a strong movie with some good acting. So that's available at Blockbuster for you guys to check out if you want to rent that. And it's definitely one that I would recommend. It's not going to be available long because we're going to go get it. Like, <laughs> why did we not just rent this? Yeah, and it's one of those movies that I'm pretty sure they'll probably only have one copy of. They might have two, maybe. But I, I can't see them ordering that many tapes of it because I don't think it's, I don't think it'll. Pro- it's probably, unfortunately, unless you guys all take my advice, it's probably not going to do super well rental wise either. Yeah. But it's 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 an underrated classic. It's one that kind of flew under the radar. So definitely check it out. But that is our show for today, March twelfth, nineteen ninety four. Thank you for listening to Massive Late Fee. As always, tell a friend. Uh, you send these tapes out to different friends of yours, mail them to pen pals, send them across the globe if you want, Any anything to sort of get our voices out there a little bit more. And uh, I might end up getting a P.O. box for people that are farther away because I, I, I realize that the only people that can give us a dollar for doing this show <laughs> or can send us recommendations are people that go to school with us that can you know put the dollar into Carol's Locker put the uh you know the note of what you want to see in my locker and other people can't do that so i might get a p.o box so that people can send us whatever they want to want to send us but thank you for listening and we will see you next week talk to you later bye have a great week